It's a joy to be back with all of you here this week. My family and I had a, a wonderful vacation uh, last week, a, time, a good time of rest and rejuvenation, but we certainly missed you all. Uh, we're I'm very glad to be back with you here this morning. If you would uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 5, as we will be looking at the entirety of chapter 5 today, I promise. Uh, You can find that in the Pew Bible on page 5. Now, you might notice, as you look at Genesis chapter 5, that this is one of those genealogies in Scripture. And this is usually one of those parts where our Bible reading eyes begin to glaze over as we read all of these strange names born in these strange places in times far, far removed from here. But as we talked about in our Sunday school lesson today, that the Bible, all of it, is profitable, including these passages in the, of names and births. As what we will see here today and as what we talked about at the beginning of our series is whenever we'll see a list of names, it's kind of like seeing the opening words in the Star Wars title crawl as it's informing you of what's happened and what's coming. And the same thing is happening here. Usually at the beginning of the genealogy, we're told about the person that we were just talking about. So in this case, Adam, which is what we've been looking at in the first few chapters of Genesis. And you'll see as where the genealogy will end is with the name Noah. And we'll see in chapters 6 through 9, his story. So a lot of these genealogies form as hinge points to let you know what has, who we have been talking about and who we are going to be talking about and the people in between. So I am going to read this passage and I want you to be listening for particular things as we go through it. I'm going to go ahead and give you some of them up front. I've called this sermon the Bible's first obituary. Because that's how this reads. You'll see a name. You'll see a brief sentence about the children that they had. And you'll hear over and over again, and he died. Which is an innovation in the world that we have not seen up to this point. This is different now. Dying of natural causes after a very long life. So I want you to listen to that. But I also want you to listen for breaks in that pattern. One of the things that they'll emphasize to us in in any sort of literature class in close reading is to notice the patterns, but especially notice where those patterns are being broken, because there's something that's being emphasized there. So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenab. 
Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he had fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for this list of names in our text. Each one representing a person that helped us take one step closer to Jesus. I pray that we can learn from the things that are in this list about how to live, about how to die, and about how to walk with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Death is one of these things that occurs in life that without the Bible, we would have very little answer or hope for. I, when in preparation for this sermon, was trying to look at some of the world's best perspectives on death and how it is that they can be explained. Particularly, I appreciate it when there will be children's shows that will try to do this because this is the world's best attempt to try to make death make sense. So as strange as it might sound, watching Bluey for sermon preparation, if you're not familiar with the show, say, uh, I see parents and grandparents nodding, yes. It's a, it's a wonderful show, but it's not a Christian one. And they tackled the subject of death. In this case, Bluey finds a bird that had died and tried to resuscitate it, but to no end. The bird had passed. And the only thing that they could say in the show, Bandit, his father, her father, saying, well, it's out of our hands. It's not the way that we would like the story to be written, but it's out of our hands now. And I thought, that's about as close as they can get. Death is out of our hands. 
But we can add where Bluey puts a period. We can put a comma. It is out of our hands, but it is in the hands of the Lord. And that's what we are going to look at as we see in this passage today that there is hope even in the midst of an obituary as we read. So I'm hoping as we look at our two points today, the first point is that God is faithful in his blessings and judgments, or to put it in a non-church way, God means what he says. And then the second point that I want us to look at is walking with God brings a life of blessing. That's what we're going to see as we examine this passage today. So one thing that we want us to look at when we see this genealogy, and indeed any genealogy, as one pastor, Dale Ralph Davis, had put it, each one of these names that you see is a fulfillment of a promise. It's a fulfillment of a promise to see a name written down, because that's what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right? We were told that the penalty for sin was death, but there was going to be life that was going to come from Eve, and that there was one day going to be a seed, a child, a man that was going to crush the head of the snake and set all things right. And here at the beginning, here's all these names that God fulfills his promises, God fulfills his promises, God fulfills his promises. There's going to be people. There's going to be blessing in having children. And that's what we'll see as we go on. Or in these other genealogies, even outside of Genesis, when we get to, say, numbers, for instance, and you hear so-and-so inherited this property and so-and-so inherited this property, which sounds about as exciting as you would originally think, until you remember No, God made a promise that his people would occupy the land. And this is not some vague idea or some spiritual thing that we tend to wish away. But instead, here are these concrete people who own concrete pieces of dirt. God's promises are real. And that's what we see here in these genealogies. And each one of these people, who some of them we know a little bit more about, As we'll see in the book of Hebrews, there have been some that have been mentioned, like Enoch, for instance. But a lot of these names, we don't hear anything further about them. Just that they existed, that they had kids, and they died. I find that actually quite comforting. Because these people were used of God. They lived. They took care of people. And then they died. 800 years summarized in a sentence. But there they are, in their place, in redemptive history. Is that not relevant to you and me? We live in small-town Alabama, where probably none of us are going to be well-known. I remember reading one, one article that describes that one day we are going to die and we're going to be forgotten. That's what's going to happen to me one day. And that's okay. We're not here to be well-known. We're here to make Jesus known. These people brought us one step closer to bring Jesus into the world. And you have the opportunity to bring Jesus to the world, to bring his gospel to a people that are suffering, to a people that need him. 
That's what we can see overall in this text. God is not only faithful, though, in his blessings. He doesn't only mean what he says with blessings, but he also means what he says in judgments. And that's what we see in the last phrase of almost all of these people. We'll get to Enoch in a minute. But in all of these phrases, we see, and he died, and he died, and he died. As I said before, this is a new reality in the world. It wasn't supposed to be like this. And if you were to do the math, which I didn't, I had someone else do the math for me. If you look at Adam, he almost got to see Noah. He didn't die until Lamech, the second to last person on our list, was nearly 60 years old. So I can imagine how utterly disorienting that would have been to see the father of humanity die of natural causes. I'm sure as this doesn't have everybody's name personally listed, it mentions other sons and daughters, so perhaps there had been other people who had died before that. But I can only imagine what that would have meant to a people to see Adam, who had seen the face of God, himself die. I don't know when your first encounter with death was, but for me, it was when I was, I think it was 12 or 13 years old when my grandfather died. And that was very disorienting to me. He lived next door to us. I saw him all the time. Uh, He was a very important relationship to me taught me how to swim. And when he passed away, that made death extremely real to me, that this could happen even to my family. And I had a context for this. I had been to funerals as a child. I knew that people died. I was raised in a world where that was the only thing we'd ever known. But I can only imagine how destabilizing this would have been for basically all of humanity to see their grandfather pass away naturally as a consequence of his sin, because of the judgment of God, and that God is serious about these things as well. It's not just the blessings, but it's also the judgments that death will come. We in our country don't think about death. I know people talk about us being a culture of death. I think we're actually more of a culture of convenience that uses death. Because we try our best not to think about it as much as possible. We will entertain ourselves in so many different ways so we just won't think about it. But one of the blessings that I as a pastor have in a congregation that has been walking with the Lord for a long time and are in what many call the twilight years in my conversations with you all You share with me how you think about death more in these later years. And I appreciate that. I don't think that that's just a factor of your age. I think that's a factor of your wisdom. Because we're told in Psalm 90, verse 12, that the psalmist asked the Lord to teach us to number our days. We, especially us who are young, functionally live as if we'll live forever. And don't give thought to what it means to die. But we should. Death should sober us. This is not an escape from responsibility, but is indeed the very entrance to accountability 
before the Lord. This is something that these genealogies remind us of. Even Adam dies. And so will we. This is something we must keep in mind and will help to motivate us, I think, to live in the way that Enoch demonstrates. And that's what we're going to examine now as we look into our second point, that walking with God brings a life of blessing. So far, as we've seen all of these, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, we might begin to become rather depressed as we see this pattern unfold over and over and over and over again. Is there no hope that Genesis 5 can give to us? But there is. And it's found here in this verse, in verse, verses 21 through 24. Remember how I said at the beginning when we need to look for a break in the pattern. And here we find that break in verse 24, that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Like Enoch disappeared one day after 365 years. Some commentators had said that perhaps the reason why it makes this point is to say, well, yes, he had a short life, but that was not due to his disobedience to God. In fact, quite the contrary. Here he has walked with God, and God just brought him to himself, joining one of, only, of, of a club of two people that had never experienced death, Elijah the prophet being the other one. Here he just gets sent straight into heaven. Wouldn't you like to know what Enoch was like? What would have been talking with him like, be like? Someone that the Lord decided to just take right up into heaven so that he didn't have to experience death. I don't know what that would have looked like specifically to Enoch. And it's up to the Lord and it's his grace as to why Enoch was brought up to heaven rather than others. But I think that there is something we can learn from his life. Scholars notice the way that his pattern of life is described as walking with God. Notice it's not living with God. This is a very active word that's being used here. Staying in step with God along the way. One scholar had put it this way. This is the general nature of walking with God. It is a persistent endeavor to hold all of our life open to God's inspection and in conformity to his will. A readiness to give up what we find that causes any misunderstanding between us and God. This walking with God necessarily tells on the whole life and character. What he's saying here is walking with God is a living life with completely open hands. To receive from the Lord whatever it is that he would have to give you, And to let go anything that he would also take. Job is an example of walking with God. And to do so brings blessing. This does not mean that if we walk with God, that God owes us a death-free pass from earth into heaven. Again, that's only been granted to two people. And even then, that's his grace. But I actually like the promise better, that he promises blessing to us while we're here. It's not just waiting until heaven one day. 
but that indeed this is walking with him. It's, to put it in another way, this is taking God into account in all of your decisions. I remember once I was in seminary, I had a classmate of mine who was given the opportunity to take a missions trip to Africa. And they had called him up and had asked him to say, hey, we know you had signed up for these dates, but it would really help us if you'd be able to come a week early and extend your stay here with us during the summer. Would you be able to do that? And without missing a beat, my friend said, yes, I'd be happy to do that. And the person on the other end of the phone said, well, don't you have to ask somebody before you just make this decision? And he said, no, I'm not married. I don't have any children. I can make these decisions just on my own. Now he is married and has two children, and he can't go on trips like that because he rightly takes his family into account. If he's going to make a decision, he's going to weigh how this is going to affect the relationship between his wife and children. Again, as he should. This is how we should operate with our God. When we're going to make a decision, the question, first question, should be how, if any, impact is this going to have on my relationship with God? If taking on this new job means that we're not going to be able to be in church anymore, there is needs to be a severe question. Is this what the Lord wants me to do? Is this really where I'm supposed to go? Before we start a new relationship, before we say something to our family, ask the question, how is this going to impact my relationship with the Lord? That's what it means to walk with God. And it also means that when you step away from that path, that you get back to him as quickly as possible. I remember I was in, in line at Disney World one day. I was, the true magic of Disney is the ability to make you think you're just at the ride and you come around and there's another whole carousel of people waiting. But I was waiting, I was eight years old and had my line of sight perspective and thought that my dad was in front of me. I saw the clothes that he was wearing, and I reached out and hugged this man who shared the build and fashion sense of my father, but he did not share my father's face or my father's typical reaction when I hugged him, because the man immediately began pulling away, which is what you do when a child attacks you. And when he pulled away from my hug, I realized I wasn't hugging my father and looked up and saw this man. And immediately I then realized my father was behind me and ran back to hide behind my father against my new foe that I've made in the Disney line. That's how it should be with our relationship with God. So often we get distracted by things that look like what God would want us to do. And we will reach out and we will embrace those things only to find out that is not what God wanted us to do. And what we can tend to do as Christians is we say, oh, I've made a mistake. Now I need to run away from God, fix myself, and then come back. That's not the answer. I knew one thing as an eight-year-old is I need to run towards my father when there's trouble. And that's our call as well, is to not run away from God and his word. Though there is everything within us that says, I don't want to be in the presence of something holy right now. I want to be as far away from the word as possible if I know I'm not in conformity with it. 
I want to be as far away from church as possible when I know that I'm not living as I should. And that's precisely the wrong reaction. You don't go somewhere else to find healing. You don't go somewhere else to find God on his path. You run back to him and get back walking with him again. That's where our blessing is found. That's where hope is in this passage. But that's not the only place where hope is. The last place, the last break in our pattern of this genealogy falls in verses 28 through 32. Here we have Lamech who's lived and fathers a son. And then the narrative slows down again. Remember how I said at the beginning of our series, anytime Genesis hits the brakes and begins slowing way down on that narrative, that's where you're paying attention. This is the slow-mo replay to make sure you capture the details because here's where the story's going. And we look to Noah. Lamech, not the same Lamech, by the way, who was our first gangster rapper back in Genesis chapter 4. This is a different Lamech than the one who is saying, I will, I will kill people for wounding me. This Lamech fathers a son and calls him Noah. And here with Noah, there is a, there's a play on words with his name. Here, in fact, in some uh, translations, or you'll, you'll see a little footnote at the bottom here in the ESV, it has one that says that Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for rest, meaning comfort. He's going to bring us relief from the work of our hands. Names are important. Now, Lamech is saying this, having just watched the father of humanity die, just 120 years ago, which is not long on the scale of 900 years worth of life. He's watched Adam die, but then he's going to proclaim that there is still hope, and it's going to come through his son, Noah. Now, obviously, as we'll see his story unfold, this bringing of hope is going to look a lot different than Lamech expected it would be. But nonetheless, Noah is going to be a shining example of God's grace in a person. And we'll see that as we pick up next time. So what's our takeaway from our passage of genealogies, this list of names in redemptive history? Well, these genealogies proclaim that God is true to his word. He's true to his word when he promises blessings of people, and he's true to his word in judgments when he says that death is the result of sin. The same thing is true in all the rest of Scripture. God isn't kidding when he gives you a command. He's not kidding when he says that there's danger for disobeying it. But he's also not kidding when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus isn't kidding when he says, I will forgive your sins and will separate you from them as far as the east is from the west. Jesus is true to his word. 
in both his blessings and his judgments. That's why I think this passage is teaching. But now how do we apply this passage to ourselves? What does this mean? For you young people, even those of you who are five years old and under, listen to me for a moment. What these passages are teaching us, we have the opportunity to learn from people who've lived a long time ago, who have something to tell us today. And right now, you are sharing a room with living people who have a lot to tell you. Listen to them. They have a perspective on life that you don't and can't. It's the same thing for us young adults in the room who have now begun to get a little bit of an understanding of how the world works. Don't let that early understanding blind you to what our senior saints can teach us. We're too quick to ignore that perspective. Too quick to think that the world's different now. In some ways it is. But the Lord's wisdom is never out of date. And inasmuch as our older generations possess the wisdom of God, we do well to listen and to be reminded of what's true. And for those of you who are older, who are further along life's road, we're watching. We want to see what Jesus does to someone who has lived with him for a long time. This doesn't mean that I'm encouraging you to be fake or put on a mask when we're around. In fact, quite the opposite. What we want to see is someone who is able to, while they still make mistakes, are still running to Jesus in repentance and looking to him for forgiveness. That's the example that we need to see. Yes, we need to see transformed lives. We need to see repenting people. We want to hear what you have to tell us. But tell us, Jesus, not just your personal experiences. Show us what Jesus has shown you. And you will be a light to generations after you. You will bring Jesus to the next generation. But you must possess him. You must know him. To be able to train us. Help us to do that. And for all of us here today. We remember where the source of all wisdom comes from. Which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Death can visit us at any time. Whether it's Adam living for nearly a millennia. Or those of us who might not see the afternoon. Have you put your trust in Christ? That's where blessing is. Are you walking with him? Because that's where blessing is. If the answer to either of those questions is no or I don't know, then I would encourage you, put your trust in him today. Look to him, not to yourself. You're not going to be able to save yourself. But look to what Christ has done on your behalf. Turn to him and turn from your sin. You'll never be able to clean yourself up to make you worthy of Jesus. But come to Jesus and he will make you worthy. Because of his righteousness, not your own. And then one day, one day, death will be no more. One day there will no longer be any sentences of 
and then he died. But the fairy tale language of, and they lived happily ever after, will be gloriously applied to those whom Christ has bought. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have together to look into your word and see you fulfilling your promises. Indeed, you have fulfilled the greatest promise that you made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that you would send a Savior, and so you have. Lord, I pray that we would trust in Jesus, that we would put the weight of our eternal need on him and look to him alone for salvation. Prepare us for that day in which we all will die. And pray that we would put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.